So this is Doug. This is Jacob. And welcome to uh, Best Works Podcast number 15. 15. Cheers. And uh, it's brought to you by uh, the Glen Morangie 12 Year Scotch, uh, which we can thank Brian Cox yeah, for how to pronounce Marangy. correctly. Yeah. And we have a guest today, um, the director of the Red House, who we'll be talking to at great length. <laughs> Very great length. guest. <laughs> um, okay, I'm Alex Duncan, and I've just directed my first feature film, which is The Red House. Well is... done. Thank you. Yes. And it's opening March 14th in general across the country? Yeah, it opens uh, in Christchurch on March the 7th. Okay. At Alice and Cinematheque, and then everywhere else it opens 14th, and there's, I think, at the Metro in Dunedin and Nelson, it opens on the 21st. Okay, yeah. So um, in Auckland, it's opening in the Rialto, is it? Yep. Um, other places people might be able to see it? Um, in Auckland, it's at the moment, it's the Rialto at Matakana. Yep. And on Waiheke. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, and possibly one in Cinema, but that's still to be confirmed. Cool. Mm. Nice. Cool. Well, we should start by saying what the Red House is, and actually, some people listening may have already seen it because it played at the um, at the film festival at the film festival in 2012, where I cleverly missed it entirely. Yes. <laughs> so did I. Uh, yeah. Um, you laugh, but this is my pain. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that, that's how you can benefit from the uh, the the release now, is all the people who missed it have their chance to make up for exactly. it. The, yeah. Um, and um, I guess I, I was fortunate enough to um, meet Alex and get to see the film uh, that way a couple months ago. I didn't really know what to expect going in and was really um, blown away, actually, just as one of um, my favorite New Zealand films that have come out in my entire time living in this country. Which is um, how many years? Since 2004. Oh, okay. so, <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to name the other two? <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, you've never seen it before this uh, no, few no, days I, ago. No, I, I saw it um, last week, I believe. I, I remembered it from the festival program because I do a pretty thorough read-through, but you know, you've got to knock it down to 30, 40 films that you can see. Um, really? I didn't make it into your knocked-down 30 or 40 films. <laughs> oh, look, Don't tell her how many I saw. <laughs> um, look, it's New Zealand films. I try to get to see a few, but... Uh, oh, come on! Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's rough. You've got you to make a cut, and when you don't know about something... You know, or you can go from as the write up. Um, and I, I vaguely remember seeing uh, this thing, which which I took to be some sort of documentary about a couple um, and their relationship. Um, but I didn't really know much more about it than that. Um, but I saw it this week, and I have to say um, that it is fantastic. And I agree with Doug; it's one of the best New Zealand films I've seen. Um, yeah, it really plays in a very poetic kind of way and I think there aren't many New Zealand films that I've seen that um, have hit this kind of note uh, One thing that I think is remarkable is that it's, it's I think there are quite a few New Zealand films that have been well shot over the years yeah. and they're poetic and beautiful but um, there's also a lot of ideas in it um, yeah. in, in ter- that aren't yeah. really foregrounded and I, I guess I hate to say it's a film about ideas especially because some of it in one of the two characters is really involved with um, issues around property development and environmental preservation. And when you yeah. say a film about that, you imagine um, somebody ranting into a DV camera for 90 minutes about how something they love is going to be destroyed and something very didactic. And it's almost the exact opposite of didactic, yeah. despite only allowing, despite only having that character's voice putting forth those ideas. And um, that was something that was really. I guess striking to me that that you could have this quite analytical, thoughtful 
read of that and have it be about um, the contrast. I guess I guess we've gone quite far without actually explaining the story of the film, <laughs> <laughs> which, we, which we often do, um, which is basically about a couple in their 60s. Um, he's Pakaha, she's Asian, and they've lived in a, the titular Red House um, for what appears to have been quite a while. 20, I think 20 years? years or something? Yeah. yeah, and then um, circumstances conspire that um, Gia, who's the um, Asian woman, has to go back to her home country to um, take care of her dying parents. And so part of the film has uh, Lee back in New Zealand on the island. Well, and you haven't and, described who Lee is yet. Oh, yes. The, who, is the, who is the Pakaha? Um, Husband. Is that, yeah. They're married, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. So they're, they're a couple. Married. I don't think it's explicitly stated that they're married in the film. No, no. Okay. No. And so there's all these binaries that result from that. You know, mm. you have the urban setting of China versus the rural setting here in New Zealand and, you know, the the place that has been a home that has been where they've built this life and t- taking that apart. You know, there's there's all these parallels and kind of things feeding off each other that you can draw on. And at the same time, you can also just watch it as a love story and not really worry about all of that. And I was actually, mm. that's on my first viewing, actually how I responded to it a bit more is that it's quite rare to have a love story between older characters. You know, I can only think of two other stories, yeah. one of which we may be talking about later, yeah. which is Amour. Um, and that's yeah. <laughs> a bit different. And then the Paul Cox film Innocence, for, which is an Australian film from and, the And the other one I can think of is, is um, Sarah Polly's Away From Her. Oh, true. Okay. Yeah. But um, generally quite rare. So, hmm. yeah, all, and all of that was just really special and rare. So that's what struck me about the film. So I guess one place to start talking, though, is... Um, I think both of us kind of indicated we didn't really know what we were getting into when we saw it. And I think it, in Jacob's case, after even after he did see it, I think there were some major questions. Yeah, I think about the genre. Yeah, yeah but even prior to that, what, what would you want your ideal audience member to know going into this film? Yeah, like just mm. as a plot, how would you give it a plot summary? Mm, well, to me, it's, um, it's a love story, primarily. Mm. Uh, it's a love story about an older, older couple mm. who have been living together for a long time on a little island in a very sort of small community. Yeah. And they suddenly have to pack up and move back to her hometown, which has, in the time that she's left, uh, become a mega city. Hmm. So it's a story of uh, transition and personal change, you know, affected by by the larger forces of, of yeah. globalisation. And somebody said to me the other day, I should describe it as transcendental <laughs> it's not so much it's not so much a, a story about this happened and this happened and then this happened yeah. it's, it really is it's about the the internal thoughts and feelings and the internal shifts that happen because of those external forces well there's one thing that you know in thinking about how to talk about this film like there's lots of films that I've already said quite a bit of the plot such as it is, mm. it is and I'm yeah. often quite wary about discussing the plot of films, but I, in some ways it almost feels a bit secondary yeah, in it's, a it's sense. It's not narratively it's, driven as such. Yeah, although there, I mean, there is a, there there is is a, a narrative spine to it, and there's actually a very um, yeah, deep is. structure. It was something that I was noticing, um, having scanned a bit of it again today, you know, apart from sort of this prologue, which in fact ha- opens with this beautiful shot that sets up mm. binaries in all these different ways. You have the almost perfectly mirrored... 
um, shot of um, Lee kayaking mm. through, and and you know the halfway point of the screen is where it splits between land and water, and then it talks about how actually where he's kayaking through is in turn fresh water and salt water yeah. all at once, and it's it, so it's all these. It can be seen as this <laughs> this sort of totem key for the entire film, yeah. and then the the title "The Red House" comes up, and then it's in some ways reveals how. The Red House itself is actually just a small part of the establishing shot and how it's embedded in nature. And, I don't, and from what I saw, I don't even actually think there's a single shot of the house that doesn't include some kind of larger context from an exterior, maybe one or two. But most of them very much are about that interconnection. And so in some ways... I don't think you could get a shot of that house that doesn't include <laughs> <laughs> the foliage around it. Yeah, there may be that as well. Yeah. But also, I guess that's another thing. Is, is some people have said to me, wow, the Red House, but it's, you know, sort of, that's a bit didactic, isn't it? Because it's the Red House and it's a Red House. Um, and But when I was, I mean, it is a Red House, for sure. But when yeah. I was um, thinking about the name, I felt that that referred more to like the colour red being about love oh, or, and, passion. and passion and those things. And it also it also describes, um, you know, a particular culture and a, and a nation. And a, yeah, well, that's, I thought you could forward. read it through to um, Chinese culture in terms of the, the, the kind red. of classic red yeah, flag. Yeah, and, yeah. And but yeah, that's right, yeah. That was something else is, is also I was trying to keep the the island and the city and and the man and the woman and keep it within a poetic space rather Mm. than being literally they are here and then they go there yeah it very much was and I I, much like you Doug I I had a um, I was taken right from that opening shot it's obviously very um, it's beautiful to look at but it's it's there's layers to it and I read it as a structural cue as well Mm. um, in a slightly different way I I mean I guess you can definitely see the the contrasts in there but what I was thinking is um, for me when I looked at that, it reminded me of a couple of other shots from films, which prob- may or may not have you may or may not have seen. But um, oh, which ones? Um, uh, Rolf the Hare's um, Ten Canoes. Oh, I have seen that. Yeah, um, yeah. When they're on the river. Yep. Um, and then uh, there's another film, a uh, very long film, Mar- Mariano Linus's um, Extraordinary Stories, and mm. it's 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 kind of three interweaving stories. And the story is minimus. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, the three stories, and one of the stories is about a guy who gets sent to check on these um, these kind of things up a river, um, mm. and and there's this kind of this whole sense, and the, and there's a lot of kind of very poetic, slow moving shots of boats mm. um, drifting through water, and and the kind of the motion that it gives the camera as well. Um, but what I read that is it almost sets up sets up the story as as a kind of fable. Um, so as opposed to a direct documentary, that's why I said you know I thought it was a documentary. But when I was watching it, it was a, a blend of fiction and documentary um, in a very interesting way. I've seen a lot more recently than than uh, you know five ten years ago, but more recently there's sort of been more blending of um, documentary mm. and fiction that I've seen anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that whole opening was a very kind of smooth, calm, but also like a fable-like setting for this love story that then. Um, I think a fairy tale is is quite a good way of describing yeah. it. Fable, I think, is probably a bit more didactic. And, oh, yeah. But but yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah uh, and it's interesting that we, like you mentioned that there there's a lot more of this blending between documentary and fiction mm. going on, and I think that's something that does confuse people because we're in many of those cases, it's 
the whole blending of those two forms has been part of the point or meaning of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas in this case, it's more just part of the form. Like I was working mm. with real people who happened to be my parents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and 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 working with some of the the feelings that they have about the world or the feelings that they have about each other, um, but within a story arc which is fiction. And so the fact that it ends up being that that merging wasn't like, oh, we want to make a film that's like yeah. a mixture between these two things. And that's, it's, it's not so much that. I mean, I think truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah. Um, but but fiction is more real. So Yeah. Well, and also, as, I mean, as somebody who works in reality TV, I know that the second the camera goes in the room, you're not really getting unmediated reality. And I think yeah. there is this feeling that some people have of like, oh, it'd be more true if it were a documentary. But I don't know that that's the case you know there's Werner Herzog talks about like oh you know there's the bookkeeper's truth and then there's the ecstatic truth I'm doing a very bad Werner Herzog impersonation right now but um I was I was nice of actually yeah yeah um but um I was thinking a bit uh, about that that actually it's like there's a truth to the story and a truth to the emotion of it Mm. that isn't really bound to whether literally this event actually happened in this person's life and also by using I mean one thing that I want to talk about is the very um, thoughtful often classical um, I'm not always classical there's some jump cutting but um, just the general shooting style of the film which is very beautiful very deliberate and very mm. non quote unquote documentary there's very mm. little handheld there's lots of controlled motion of cameras um, and that's something that I, I suppose on one level maybe a tension where you're like used to seeing oh uh, well if this is a documentary and these are real people but this is not being shot by somebody who's sitting there waving the camera back and forth and is or, this or actually in a or in an interview yeah. style you know it's more or less less structured than that but mm. uh, obviously structured almost in a in a formal way like like you shoot a feature in something the, the classic um, shot that sticks in my mind is is um, when you're watching Lee doing something in his room and then, then it goes behind the clothes and then into the other room where um, Jia is and mm. cooking, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and a- that's really interesting because that shot was, like, I mean, but to, just to give a bit of background of this, um, originally, it, it sort of all started uh, about four years ago, I guess, when um, my, I was living in Wellington and my dad called up and said, oh, I've, we're going we're gonna to move. Mm. And I sort of went, oh my god, that's crazy, because as if you see the film, you will discover my parents are total hoarders, mm. and <laughs> and that's like an understatement, really. <laughs> and um, so everything that I have known from my childhood and all that, um, well, from our whole family, still exists in that house. Mm. And so when, so I, I've always had, I've had this sort of terrible thing where in all my work. I have this sense of nostalgia of the layers of memory that mm. are that are in these forms or in these objects, and it always seems to sort of come back to that house. And so I sort of I went, wow, that's amazing. If all if all of that went, uh, what would that be in terms of my own sense of place and mm. identity and home and and those sorts of ideas? And so I got a little bit of Creative New Zealand funding, which was great, and um, set forth to shoot a short film like a sort of experimental documentary where the house was the main character okay um and my parents were like extras yeah um originally they were like oh no we don't want to be in it 
at all and I was like well it'd be good to have you at least in the back of the frames yeah. sometimes um, just so that we can see that this house is inhabited Yeah. but it was the house that was going to tell the story yeah. and one I couldn't ever quite figure out how to get the house to tell the story and also my parents decided not to move so this whole action that I thought was going to happen, which was, you know, the, the arc of that would be the house being full to the house being house being empty, didn't happen. So that shot, that tracking shot... Came from the short. Came from when I thought it was a documentary mm. and we'd gone there for the first time and Arlene Tran was the cinematographer and we were, you know, creating these beautiful sweeping <laughs> shots. Yeah, but at the same time, it's interesting because that that shot works really well. I mean, if you told me that you'd planned it out in terms of the binaries of the film of creating the, the, yeah. this space and a different space and two separate spaces, and you see this quite dense space mm. covered with books, yeah. and Lisa and you dally through it, you see, and it's not it, it's not like the film is so strict that you know that room is Lee's room and that room is Gia's room, and you never see them interact. But there is still a, more of a sense of it being her space and then it, it, there's this openness to it yeah. um, and I guess, I guess I, maybe I'm fixated on this binary reading <laughs> of, of being something about finding all of these I, I actually I think concepts. the binary reading is quite accurate because mm. I, I did have in my first sort of writing of the concept of the film I did have a whole lot of dialectics which right. was you know east, west, man, woman, island city. But you also complicate those a bit too I mean I wouldn't think I was noticing a lot of the shots of the the island um, often um, the island can be, could be portrayed as quite idyllic, but then there's an uncomfortable power line coming through, or a shot of a plant being picked with the road in the background. And mm. you obviously could have framed those out and chose mm. chose not to. And and perhaps that's something that avoids that sort of didacticism that we're talking about that often occurs in those sorts of films. Is is it's not a simple reading of the island as paradise and the city as this tyrannical destroyer of hope, which is yeah. um, quite a common sort yeah. of Koyaniskatsi Baraka kind of Baraka, yeah. look at man versus nature where those things get very Yeah, I think also with, with, with the way that we were treating the island, it was, I was, I was first of all trying to see the island in a sort of a, a pure state, almost like Sleeping Beauty's castle, or oh, yeah. you know, sort of covered in the, the foliage that surrounds it. So they're quite, you know, they're in their own world. Mm. But then, I wanted to to show that actually that world is also becoming part yeah. of a larger, you know, development process. Um, so even on that island, they weren't. It's not like they're apart from the from the rest of humanity. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, that was something that we toed and froed with, right? Until the very end of the edit was um, with the editor Daniel Strang, who had an incredibly huge input into this. Like there was, he has an incredibly astute um, and fine sense of cinema, and mm. he was. If it wasn't for him, it would have would have been so much harder. Um, but but like right right at the end, we had this whole thing of at the beginning. It starts with this very sort of gradual rhythm going up yeah. the river, and then. There's a cut and there's a, a big car which races past. Yeah, yeah. And there was that sort of thought of, well, do we do we do we break into the real world at that point, or do we actually sort of stay in the fairy tale? And so that was always our sort of yeah, point our of consideration <laughs> yeah, is yeah. you know how how do we really present the island? 
Yeah. I imagine that was quite an iterative process going through different cuts along the way. How, how did that work? And were you doing that whilst you were shooting as well? Were you did it some then go? Yes, that's right. So when we first started, um, when we thought it was a documentary, uh, I was working with Paul Waddell as the editor, and he also came along. He was also like the art department and, <laughs> um, yeah, the cicada wrangler, and, you know, had all this sort of <laughs> first AD. <laughs> and he came along, and Chris Pryor was DP at that point. Um, and so we would we would edit as we would go as we went yeah. along. I think we had a maybe a three week edit process after that, um, and then I started developing the you know the Asian part of the film, and I went and did an artist residency and shot a whole lot of test stuff. I'd never been to China before, and I sort of thought that was a perfect place to shoot the other part. So, and I guess that the idea sort of came from the idea of if you know packing up and moving on mm. in a way that's just within a family versus in a place like China where there's been a lot of sort of movement of populations and yeah. suburbs being changed around yeah. and you know this is a very a, a common yeah. thing but that has happened on a, on a mass scale so that was sort of seemed like a suitable place to shoot. Anyway so I did a whole lot of research there and shot a lot of stuff and then edited it all roughly I think um, we had three people working at that time Ryan Pierce, um, Jess Sanderson and Richard Larson who were designers and, and sort of filmmakers and makers as well and so mm. and so the task there was just to actually sort through the footage Yeah. <coughs> and then um, Daniel came on board and we, we worked for about a year off and on so we'd do a two week stint yeah. and, and be very thorough and um that was actually after after I'd been to China the last time for the last shoot, yeah. And then and then we'd come back and work again. And yeah, he is an incredibly patient man. <laughs> yeah, he did an excellent job as well. He did an excellent job. Yep, yeah, he is astounding. Yeah, it's a very sensitively good. cut film, and yeah. um, watching it in repeat viewing, there's just little slight mirrors of movements and things like that that mm. really guide the eye in ways that you wouldn't. Yeah notice in the first yeah but he's very talented on many different levels like he's he's very good at structure Mm. in terms of layering story yeah he's got a very sensitive perception of humanity and and just Mm. the different nuances and rhythms of that and then and then visually he's very good as well he's also a photographer and a director of his own film so he's you know i mean he brought a lot to the project Uh, one thing i was curious about you know, there's this sense of these absences as well, and and you talked about sort of the detritus of memory a bit and things like that. And as somebody who had a trampoline in his yard growing up, I sort of inst- instinctively am drawn to this trampoline outside, which has leaves all over and is clearly not being used by either of the characters. And then there's um, a young girl whose picture shows up a couple times, which I'm assuming is you, but that's kind of there's not really anything else made of that character Mm. in the film and is that something that was did you experiment with varying degrees of that or was that something from the outset it's like a very clear delineation is there anything where you were in it or uh it was never any particular footage that i was in yeah at one point i sort of wondered if we would make my brother come in and be a character and i did try that out 
and then there were various times where I um, shot some very clumsy conversations of about them talking about the grown-up children and stuff like that to explain that to which Daniel very rightly went um, <laughs> Alex <laughs> yeah and so we yeah. got rid of those was it they just fell into that kind of um exposition sort of yeah track. very yeah. good yeah yeah well because it's interesting because you know there's there's some reaction where it's like well where is this child in this person's life but then it's like you know I th- in, certainly in my personal case you know my parents are on the other side of the world and it's not part of um yeah. i'm not part of their story on a day-to-day life anymore i was part of that story and there's mm. these traces of me around and you know sure we'll talk on skype and have other you know communication and i'm sure they think of me but like that's not what they're doing on a day-to-day basis mm. you yeah know? and that was also that was something that sort of came up um later on and actually like especially after the festival was but it was just this just this thing of do we need to wrap it up so clearly and explain you know where the where the children of these people are and and i noticed that some people some viewers sort of then go oh well what happened to the boy or you know and but for me i think i think in the end we sort of we went back and forth on it but ultimately it's not it's not about just wrapping everything up, and it's not mm. a, it's not about the story of the children or or describing the whole of their life. Yeah, it really is following their yeah. person. I, I think that was a wise decision. I think that you're much better to leave people with questions mm. in terms of having people think about the material than try to wrap everything up because it never over exposition or answering questions never seems to work. In a satisfactory way. Well, I mean, occasionally it can, but for the most part it doesn't. And when you've got mm. such a, a lovely poetic meditation, um, then that, I think, really is a clouding factor. Because you're not focused on the story of the children, you're focused on the story of this relationship and the thematic laying and that. I mean, I, I, I really responded, responded to it as a, as a love story as well, and that it was very, it was very beautiful to see this... Very, what to me played as a very true relationship like it wasn't it wasn't gushy or um, you know there wasn't sort of forced uh, conflict you know often how people want to see in films is you know points of um, tension mm-hmm. and there wasn't the tension was more subtle it was there it was about I, I guess internal internal things um, and the, the themes that sort of came across most strongly to me were the idea of um of the contradicting nature of intimacy um, that you spend so much time with someone and you know them very well on a certain level but at the same time you don't know them and, and, and they have a very obvious sort of facet of that and that they're from different cultures so you've got a cross-cultural relationship and still somewhat of a language barrier but kind of not really although um, Lee sort of directly sort of talks about I don't know, you know, you can communicate um, intimacy communicates um, through action and through um, presence, um, but language has another layer. If you don't have a common language, then you know mm. a layer gets missed. Um, and so that whole idea that around intimacy being this sort of odd, double-edged thing, um, and then the other thing that sort of notably stood out to me was um, a sense of identity, like. Um, how how you form your own identity around somebody else that you're in close relationship with. I mean, I, I personally I have a, a really strong interest in in the way that we interact with others around us and a sense of community, um, whether that be a, a broad thing or even in, in, in a small microcosm. Um, 
that our lives, whether we think about it or or, or want to um, acknowledge it or not, impact on the people and, and the space around us. Um, and and so the idea of you know how how do we find our identity in relation to this relationship and those things that they talked about explicitly, but also that very much mirrors our, our own personal experiences of mm. how do I find my identity in my relationship with my spouse because I'm married um, and and then how does that change in, in certain circumstances and I guess it had a really nice structural sort of shift from when you sort of compare the city uh, the, the, the island to the city but um, the place and the uh, the context of the person in this particular space so you saw Jia in her adopted space um, that she'd um, grown a relationship with Lee in the space but then them being separated and living in spaces that so she went back to her, her home that was very much different from what she knew but then at the same time was very familiar in many ways um, and a way of life that she just kind of slotted into you could see um, with with the family and the role that she took on in terms of caregiver and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, and then Lee travelling to that place and then trying to find his place where you know at home he was in amongst his books um, um, dealing with the issues of, of um, the environment and the various um, causes that he was sort of interested in and, and involved in and then at that space going what can I do to help but also I can stand back if that's what you need but trying to figure out what, what do I do here where do I fit here um, was really an interesting thing to me in terms of them figuring out their own identity in a different context I mean, it was very very interesting film was one of the reasons that it sort of struck me as Oh, there are plenty of New Zealand films that I've seen that are very well, like Doug said, well shot or that are narratively interesting um, but thematically they're not so dense mm. yeah. yeah and I think and I think I wonder if that is because I was working with real people rather than mm. rather than actors, I mean of course all actors are also real people so they all have their layers but because I was I was able to uh, invest or use as my research a real relationship um, that was really handy I mean some of the stories they come from a a whole lot of different places I sort of did a bunch of research um, especially in in the neighbourhood where that house is Mm. um, and and sort of went and interviewed a bunch of the neighbours and sort of asked them what they thought about you know a whole lot of things and so those those ideas sort of all weaved together but but it was really yeah, it was based on a whole lot of layering of people's experience. Mm. I suppose it's also a factor of the development process, right? And that, you know, having four years to... Was <laughs> it four years or is that... Yeah, I mean, I suppose it was it was three and a half... Yeah, it was four years since we began mm. now, but it, I, I finished it at the end of... Oh, middle of July. Right. So it was about three and a half years right. in creation. Do you have any sense of how many shoot days there were over that? Or is that something you don't even want to consider? Uh, no, it, it, it all got rather rather blurred because there were yeah, there were so many different stages of shooting and and by the end I mean I had run out of all you know, all funds. I had I had yeah. really lovely support from a bunch of places like CNZ and Asia New Zealand and the film commission at the end and um but yeah, but it was a very low budget thing. Mm. So, so there was a lot of time where I couldn't, I couldn't have a crew. So I would just go to the island and shoot myself, yeah. um, you know, on weekends, and and then and then would edit during the week, and then I'd go back and 
and collect collect the new material. How did you handle the um, the crossover time when um, Jia was in China and Lee was in at the island? Um, like um, who was where? Like where oh, were you? Um, well, I mean, was that a temporal? Was, was that was that actually a crossover period or? Because uh, wasn't there one stage where they were um, Skyping or what have you? Yeah, but um, the film was shot all completely out of order. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I mean, what was really handy and, the, and one of the main reasons why I could do it is my parents do come and go between yeah. China and New Zealand. Like, anyway. Oh, quite a lot, yeah. Um, and so I would arrange my shooting times yeah. um, in either of the places when they were going to be there. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, so it's... It's got to have had some budgetary impacts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I, um, Francisco Rodriguez, who was the main DP for the China part, he yeah. came to China with... I think he came twice. Yeah. Yeah, he came once for a recce and then flew back to Brussels, where he's based, and then came back for the shoot to sort of juggle around work and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, we, I, think, and I think in total I maybe went to China... I think I went there five times during the process of shooting. So, yep, yep. back and forth a lot. So in, in taking this film out into the world, and like obviously it's played at quite a few centres, and, and the film festival's been um, really, I mean, Bill Gosden, for instance, has been very vocally supportive of mm. the film. Yes, and Bill Gosden, yeah. appre- yes, I've so appreciated his, his support. Yeah. Um, and so you've got. I imagine you've gotten to play to quite a few places and do Q&As. Have you, what, what's... I guess, tell me what that's been like. Have you been surprised by people's reactions in any way? Are there things that people are seeing in the film that you didn't expect or reactions that have surprised you? Or do you feel like... Um, you know, I think I've only done one Q&A, ah, okay. which was in Wellington. Right. I, I had to go back to China for a, for a job in the middle of the festival yep. last year. So I was in... Auckland, we didn't have a Q and A then, and then and then in Wellington, I, I did one, but yeah, that's been the only one. And I think the film does confuse people in terms of its genre, so that has been a lot of the questions have been based around that. Is it real? Is it not real? Yeah, <laughs> well, which, which is which is interesting because it, on a certain level, it just doesn't, it doesn't really matter. matter. Yeah. And I it's, don't think it matters. Yeah, and and it's because, but I guess there, you know, to take a, a different example, like Love Story, for instance, you know, there is. Mm-hmm sort of this tension of, oh, is this true or isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that has... Well, it, to what degree is it true? Yeah, yeah. And, the point of it, yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, but I, th- I think there is, a, there is also a grand tradition in film, you know, going back beyond Brisson to, like, um, mm. you know, Nanook of the North and things like yeah. that, of things that are using sort of documentary styles, but dramatizing, mm. and, and there is... Yeah, and and that's not necessarily what the film is about. Mm. That that's that's the technique that the film is using, which I think mm. you said before, just in different words. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, but I guess there there is this frustration that you go to the video store and there's the documentary section and there's the drama section. You apply, you look in the film festival guide and there's the documentary section and there's the drama section. You open, and you read the description and like, oh, it's this filmmaker who made a film about her parents and its characters playing her parents, but it's not a documentary but it's that story um but it, it yeah but having seen the film it's something that's just so irrelevant to it that it's a question of i guess how you get past those kind of <laughs> binaries yeah. in people's heads because <laughs> well, i was confused going into it um i 
had heard that it was kind of a documentary I'm not I, I think that's some vague sort of sense from festival time and then I watched it and I thought oh okay yeah this is obviously kind of like a blend um, but then I read then I went to the film site when I was trying to um, actually I logged the film on Letterboxd and, um, but it wasn't on there and so I put it in TMDB um, and so I got the details from the film site um, and then there was no mention of documentary or on the genre list and I was like maybe it's maybe it's complete sort of fictional narrative which is fine like it didn't bother me i still love the film and and but i I wonder if that's true because what i've noticed i mean this has been the interesting feedback is what i've noticed is people who knew knew nothing about what it was Mm. and watched the film assuming it was documentary find it incredibly moving and you know they get really involved in it Mm. and they care a lot and then people who know that to a large extent it is a work of fiction yeah. spend the whole film analysing that and going well how can this be fiction it seems real is that bit fiction oh no is that bit documentary and mm. and they have this really sort of cerebral sense of it yeah that's a bit sad really isn't it um, and come out and go oh yeah interesting I mean, <laughs> the, the, the film experience that it reminded me of most recently was um uh, Julia Loctev's um, *The Loneliest Planet*, um, which was a complete work of fiction based off a book, um, and it, um, but it, it was about the dynamics of a relationship, and not just a, and of a relationship, and then how that relationship was impinged upon by a circumstance and and one other person and, and their, their relation to that. Um, but it, that film, much like your film, um, although they're very different styles, had a very true sense of interaction and intimacy and, and relationships and that's what primarily struck me about the film was not is this real is it not but more this has a real true sense of of relationship to it um, mm. and I think a lot of that was about the way that it was constructed um, yeah like, they're both quite structuralist films yeah. Loneliest Planet is very in fact Loneliest Planet is incredibly really structuralist yeah. all the time almost like wouldn't be surprised if it's graphed out yeah. with yeah, you yeah. Know, a little fulcrum in the middle yeah. um, and, and yeah um, and Two Years at Sea did you see Two Years at Sea? no I didn't it's, it's an, interesting because it's another film that, play, that I saw and I thought it was a documentary um, and responded to it in a certain way and afterwards I found out that actually it is also very similarly Dramatized, although there's no voiceover, so there's a lot more distance uh, from that. But sorry, you were about to say something before. Yeah, I was going to ask about um, about I guess the the voiceover sort of thing. Like I, for me, that worked really well, and I, it doesn't always. Um, but the the sense of the lingering sense of the camera on the people, like for me, I got a real felt like I got a real sense of the characters just by observing observing them do their thing, um, and then the voiceover would come in and give them thoughts that were often not directly related to the activity which was really a really nice way and worked really well how did you sort of mm. decide to piece it together like that yeah so a- and origin- not to have dialogue so much when you had yeah. little bit of it. i mean i suppose there's several ways i can't say that i mean one yeah. way the dialogue that i did shoot it was i mean my parents aren't actors yeah so we would we would you know develop a scene and mm-hmm. and and i would shoot it bunch of times and each time it would be different and yeah. so it was really hard to be able to cut those scenes and in, in like in one case near the end of the film or the very end of the film I just sort of went well let's just you know we, we'll just cut it anyway yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and have it jump but so so it was always it was always an easier process when there wasn't that much dialogue yeah 
um, because action is always easier. Yeah. And and to start with, I thought I didn't know that we would have much voiceover or any voiceover. Yeah. But in watching the film, there was it was very hard to come to know the characters without being able to invest in their internal thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So so then, yeah. So then we wrote um, voiceover. But something that I've always been, something that I really like in in good cinema, and I mean, and in, in, in stories in general, is when your own imagination is is left to, yeah. or is sort of forced to push beyond the image that you're seeing. So I I really love this thing where you see one thing, but what you hear is another. Yeah. Um, and there's a one particular scene which I love, um, in the middle of the film. When she's going to the airport, mm. and and she tells a story that's from the island, yeah, and and so in my mind I'm imagining this island, but we're in this sort of grey polluted city, yeah, and I really I really love, yeah, that sort of forced, mm. um, yeah, that moment where you can actually get the audience to mm. push and imagine. Yeah, I mean, for mm. me, what I felt happened um, was that almost the expositional parts of it um, almost came from, from the visuals more than the dialogue and um, the kind of the thematic internals came from the voiceover a lot. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, not completely, but that's how I experienced the film, um, to a large degree, which I found interesting. I mean, it's not often how films like that go. Yeah. And what actually, you did this other thing with, with, the, with the voiceover. I mean, yeah. something that I think is... That is lovely about filmmaking. Is it is it's a bit like painting. It is that sort mm. of layering approach. I keep saying layering, but it is. Mm. You sort of go you mm. you you create this voiceover that you think might go in one place, and then you go, oh no, that's way too didactic. There's no mm. way we can have that. <laughs> and then you put it over in this other part, and you go, oh god, look how that changes that scene. Mm. And so there's a real sort of experimentation there, which again comes from working with a brilliant editor um, and having time to work at our own pace yeah. to be able to fully sort of investigate all those different possibilities because all those changes would also then have ripple effects yeah, well. yeah. Once exactly. you start, and once you start introducing because it seems like through the course of the shoot you're probably continually introducing new techniques or new I- ideas in terms of the language of shooting and the language of the Exactly. Film, and so that reinforms yeah. footage that you've already shot that then becomes recontextualized. Is exactly. that a fair description? And that's right. And it's things like, um, for example, uh, you know, the scene when she is going towards the ep- going to the airport. Mm. That I shot that a year before the scene, the scene in the mangroves. Yeah. And then I went to shoot the mangroves and mm. and tried that out a few times, just on the edge, <laughs> <laughs> and. It was just way too still for the beginning of the film, and so then yeah. we got our neighbour to, um, who's a great boaty, to go in his his um, dinghy up the mangroves, and we sh- and we shot it like that, and and I was like, okay, this is going to be great because it parallels that other scene. They're both sort of journeying towards their loved ones, yeah, um, and they match perfectly. Same music on, it's just cool. this so perfect. And, and yet, a lot of those, a lot of those structural parallels aren't so in your face no. that they. No. You, I think. I think in a first viewing, a lot of them are perceived quite mm. subconsciously. Yeah. Um, cinematically, we're, I mean, what obviously shooting over this time, maybe you're looking at different movies, but like, what things were you looking at as 
influences over the course of it, or were you looking at other films as influences, or were you more drawing from the footage that you were getting and trying to build a language independent of? I think yeah. that I mean because because I made it over such a long time period that that changed um, yeah. along the way. Like at the, at the very beginning, I was looking at that movie Huckle. Who's seen that? Yeah. Georgie Palfi. I've seen. I haven't seen that. I've seen Taxidermia, which he did, which is yeah. Like, okay, so it's his first different. one. I yeah, think it was I think it was when I was still at film school. Right. So that was something that I was curious about, and I, I guess because the story in that is rather backgrounded, and there's a lot more concentration on just absorbing the little town and the, the space of that film, which I really appreciated. I was watching time go by, uh, and then. I mean, yeah, there's things like the beginning of Solaris that, of course, that scene going from the countryside into the city. The driving scene. The driving scene. (laughs) So there were things like that that influenced me stylistically. Uh, Yeah, there was a whole... I mean, there was a whole range. I mean, all all the films that I saw across those three and a half years influenced me. Like, I remember when um, Daniel and I were cutting in Wellington, I think the first... Oh, it was the second lot of editing that we did. Um, and the film festival was on, and we went and saw Mick's cut-off. Oh, yeah. Mick's <laughs> <And laughs> a fan. Yeah, and, and that was fantastic to be to be editing and then to go to the Civic and sit there and watch a film that is that is probably more subtle and and slower and takes its time and, and yet... God, that's beautifully and, cut, that film. Exactly, and yet honours... <laughs> The space in those characters, and so things like that. Well, yeah, it's not that they're it's not that they're like a president, but there's but a similar quality inspired. of immersion and physicality in yeah. that film, yeah. I guess. Which you know, when I think of Meek's cut off, I think of like that initial scene where they're crossing the river, and you have that long physicality. And then also when you talk about um, sort of memory in the film and remembering back to things, that water is dwelt on so long at the start, and then you go for so long without seeing water, and you 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 experience sort of the deprivation of it with the characters, and so I think it engages your imagination perhaps in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Personally, like, how did you come to? This is your first feature. How did you come yeah. to this? Is your first feature, and have you made shorts and stuff? I don't. I, oh yeah. Okay. So yeah. So um. So my background is in dance. Oh, yeah. So yeah. So I started off as a contemporary dancer. Okay. And then, uh, very quickly. So still at dance school, I started collaborating with, um, a cinematographer. Oh yeah. And, uh, did work that was sort of in between, and then and also did video dancing really. Um, first time I picked up a camera, I was like, "Oh my god, thank god!" It's just like painting, but a frame. Yeah. And um, so from about second year of dance school, I was really interested in film. Okay. And then I made a lot of dance films uh, for myself and also for other like for dance companies like Touch Compass Dance Trust and right. a bunch of people, Amelia Johnson, who's a current contemporary um, choreographer. Right. And then bit by bit, I just and I started choreographing music videos and television commercials oh, yeah. and cool. um, and then I started directing music videos and short films and bit by bit the language that I was using so it used to be dance that was the primary communicator within the work yeah so it was sort of like silent films and then bit by bit it moved yeah. and dance became just an element <laughs> yeah I mean I think it still is like a dance film it's still about the camera and the composition yeah and where the people are in frame and I think that sort of rhythm will always be there, um, but it's just one language. 
Cool. Mm. Right. And where to from here? Have you got other projects on the go, or are you just immersed in the in the in the process of getting this film out? And yeah, I mean, right now, yeah, I am going hell for leather getting the film yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I do have um, something I really like to do for a second feature. Um, what do you want to talk about now? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm also I've got a, a document like a, a documentary that is set in the south of China oh, yeah. in a place called Guiyang, which is yeah, which is a real sort of experimental documentary, which we I've shot about half of. Oh, wow. cool. Um, and yeah, still going with that as well. Awesome. And there's also a short dance film which I need to finish. <laughs> nice. Oh well, I'll keep me in the loop. I'm keen to. Cool. Here and see. Yeah. Mm. Cool. And uh, everybody else who hasn't seen the film already, March 14th, March 14th. Christchurch, March 7th. Go and see it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely cool. go and see it. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. And uh, we'll, we'll be back. Thank you for joining us. Yes. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.